This morning we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 3. It's on page 1079 in your Red Bibles. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John enter, about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. While the beggar held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that our murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, the man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how, God's, how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that this, his Christ would suffer. Repent, then, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything, as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. 
God, we thank you for this witness of your church recorded for us in the book of Acts. We thank you for the witness of your Holy Spirit speaking through your church all those years ago and continuing to speak through the scriptures and through your people even today. We thank you that all these things witness to Jesus who ascended and sits at your right hand and continues to intercede on our behalves. So God, we pray that you would help to make us effective witnesses as well. That you would open our ears to hear the witness of the Spirit in these words and that we would learn from them and be able to share them with still others. We pray that you would... Um, make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Today's reading feels like a very familiar scene. Imagine this, somebody in a busy place is begging for money from people nearby. You've seen this before. We can all imagine this. It's outside the Tim Hortons which is the temple of busy office people in our downtown core. It's at Young Dundas Square and outside the Eaton Center, which is the temple of consumerism and desire in the heart of our city. There are people on the margins of these busy and well-trafficked areas of our society who, very much like the man in today's reading, are not really allowed in who we so easily rush by and pay no attention to. The man we read about today was lame from birth. He was brought daily to the temple to beg, and I'm sure he was easily passed by every day, easily ignored, easily left day after day to receive only enough money for another day's bread. He is placed by this gate, and there's honestly, lots of uncertainty about where this gate was in the temple, whether it was the gate between the Gentiles' court and the women's court, or the gate between the women's court and the men's court. But whatever you believe, the reality is that this man was excluded from a place where everyone else in his society would say he rightfully belonged. He was excluded from the fullness of participation in religious life. And he is forced to ask those who are more privileged than he is, those who are able to enter the temple and to join in the rhythm of their peers and their society of prayer and almsgiving, begging them to be generous to him. But even as he asks Peter and John and they look at him, he isn't looking back at them. This too I think we know and are familiar with, We know the defeated voices asking of help of those who pass by and asking for help of no one in particular, who do not deign to get their hopes up for each person who walks by them, who are so used to being ignored, walked by, unnoticed, that they cannot themselves bear to look at each person from whom they ask for help. Their dignity has been so trodden upon by the masses that in a final act of self-preservation and self-worth, they no longer look upon those same masses who ignore them. Peter and John, I am so relieved to say, are different 
By God's grace, they are different. And Peter looks straight at the man. And the text says John did too. Peter and John acknowledge the request that has come to them and give this person the dignity of their attention, the worth of their ears and their time. And on noticing that his gaze is elsewhere, perhaps still on the ground, perhaps already looking at the next person to whom he will call out to again, Peter says, look at us. Look, we see you. Look, we're here with you. Look, we will help you. So the man gave them his attention, expecting something from them. This, I should note, is not presumption on the man's part. This man is a professional beggar. It's the only thing he's able to do in this time. And he's located in a place of charity. It's common for those who are entering into the temple to bring money with them. Bring money to give to the temple, yes, but also to bring money to share with the poor who will be nearby. He's well within reason to expect somebody who notices him to expect these two good Jewish men on their way to prayer in the temple to give him something once they've acknowledged him. Surely they'll want to give him something. But Peter and John don't seem to have money with them. And I think you and I, if we're honest, are familiar with this claim too. Our responses have so so often echoed the first part of Peter's response. I'm sorry, I don't have any change. I don't have any change, although I am just about to go and buy myself a coffee. I don't have any change, even though I am about to go and shopping for my desires of this day. Often, this is a lie that we share with others. A lie that is judgmental and rooted in our fear of how our generosity may be misused and abused by those whose stories we do not know and whose stories we often do not care to know. It's a lie that helps us to feel a little bit better than to just ignore the request and rush on by. Even when it does happen to be true for us, as I believe it was true for Peter and for John, who themselves were trustees of the resources of the church for the sake of the needy in their community. So even when it's true for us, we often don't consider how we may still be able to meet the needs of the person who we see before us, or how we might provide opportunities for wholeness and to be known to be loved, and to be acknowledged. I think that this point is perhaps best exemplified in a story of St. Thomas Aquinas. Thomas Aquinas was a celebrated late medieval scholar of the church. And Aquinas on one occasion had been invited to the Vatican, where he met with the Pope at that time, Innocent II. And in front of the Pope was spread a large sum of money And the Pope observed, you see, Thomas, the church can no longer say with Peter and John, silver and gold have I none. True, Holy Father, Aquinas replied, neither can she say any longer to the lame, rise and walk. Peter and John had no dependence on money. They had learned instead dependence on every word from their master, 
Jesus, who told them where to pull fish out of the sea and provided for their needs with many signs and wonders, who paid the temple taxes with coins out of fish's mouths and fed many thousands with simple, humble meals. Peter and John had slowly learned to become dependent on their master, Jesus, to follow his every word, that their well-being wasn't found in silver or gold. And now in this new age of the church, they have learned that in the power of the Holy Spirit, the spirit that Christ provided, they can meet their own needs still, and they can meet the needs of others. Church, I am afraid that we've lost something. We lost something a long time ago, and Thomas Aquinas named it for us. We lost that invitation to others to depend on Jesus for their needs. And we lost that invitation because we've lost the practice ourselves. It is out of their very dependence on Jesus that Peter is able to say to this man, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. Because he knows the power of Jesus' name, and he invites this man to encounter that power for himself. And in so doing, he invites this man to reveal that power to the world. What Peter offers to this man is an opportunity for something better, something better than silver and gold. In all likelihood, every day this man had just enough for another day's bread. And while Peter is unable in that moment to contribute to that need, he instead offers this man an opportunity to walk, which he's never done before, an opportunity to be fully included as he never has been before, and an opportunity to experience the wholeness of life that Jesus offers to all. As Paul was leading us in worship, he mentioned that today is Ascension Sunday. It's when the church celebrates and remembers the ascension of Jesus, which we read together in Acts 1 a few weeks ago. And that ascension of Jesus makes possible a story like today's story. And it makes possible all kinds of stories by which people who in Jesus' life and ministry had no opportunity to meet him that now they can meet him, that they can encounter Jesus in a way they couldn't while he was still on earth. They can encounter Jesus through spirit-filled and spirit-led disciples, and that their lives can be changed forever, that they can be healed and they can be welcomed home. This man, it says, was at the temple gate every day. Jesus was often at the temple. Jesus probably walked by this man countless times. And while many other people were healed near the temple by Jesus, this man was not. Jesus was just one person. And while he healed many, he couldn't heal all while he was on earth. But as he ascends and sends his Holy Spirit, he is made available to all people those who were close by and never had an opportunity to be healed in his ministry, like the person we read about today, and those who were very far off and could have never hoped to meet him, even you and me. 
Perhaps this is exactly what Jesus meant when he told his disciples and friends that they would do greater things than he. In Peter's first letter in the New Testament, he writes these words, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Peter knows the perishable nature of silver and gold, and he knows the enduring worth of Jesus. Peter, as a good Jewish man, had experienced firsthand many cycles of sacrifices and offerings, which led only to more sacrifices and more offerings, and he knows the supreme value of Jesus who breaks those cycles and offers a better way and a fulfilling life. Peter knows that silver and gold have no healing power, cannot solve the problems of this man, and he knows the incomprehensible and lavish favor of his Lord, whose spirit now works through the church and works healing where once there had only been brokenness. So knowing these two things, Peter sees the humanity of the man who is before him, sees the needs which he can meet, and he meets them in the best way that he knows how. This lame man, this beggar whose name we never learn, had perhaps heard Jesus arguing in the temple courts with the leaders and the scholars. Or perhaps he had seen others, friends of his, who often begged at the same gates as he did, be healed by this man. And so, given the opportunity, invited into faith in Jesus and into walking, does what he has never done before. He jumps to his feet. He walks and he jumps and he praises God. And by his faith, through the faithful invitation of spirit-filled disciples, others are filled with wonder and amazement. This is the opportunity that is constantly before us. As we learn dependence on Jesus and the Holy Spirit, and each of us are still learning that. It's the vows that we take when we become members in the church that we heard this morning. It's a journey we're a part of. As we learn dependence on the Spirit, we should look for opportunities to meet the needs of those who ask us, to meet their needs in Jesus' name. And it may not look how it did in this story. We may never see a person who couldn't walk leap for joy. But do we believe that we could? And can we believe that those who have always struggled to control their anger could learn long-suffering and experience peace? Can we imagine that in the name of Jesus, those who struggle with addiction can find satisfaction without their addiction? Or that in the name of Jesus, those who have always struggled to feel as if they belong could find their truest home? All of those things are likely to be very long and very hard roads. We see that truth even in Peter's life, who was often a man fully committed to the thing at hand and quickly to stumble afterwards. But there were roads which are worth walking with others. 
roads which in the name of Jesus and in the power of the Holy Spirit, we are able to journey and which, which we should desire for others to encounter as well. When we invite the sick and the poor and the marginalized who do not know wholeness on that road, it touches other people. Other people who've noticed the people we've noticed, who've seen those people who we pass by, perhaps only out of the corner of their eye. But as we invite those people deeper into relationship and deeper into healing in Jesus' name, and others see their lives transformed, that doesn't only affect the person who we help. It affects many who knew their story, who saw them how they were before. This man was healed, but the thousands in the temple courts were amazed, and in their amazement had an opportunity to be confronted with the reality of the gospel. That, is, that it was not Peter who healed, but it was Jesus who healed the risen and ascended Jesus through the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus who is glorified even now by the Father, glorified in the healing of one beggar, and glorified in the pronouncement of his gospel to many people. Last week, our guest preacher, Nuhum Kulibali, emphasized for us the importance of the least of these. And he highlighted the reality that it is a temptation of ours to be overwhelmed by the multitudes who need our help. That this is a distraction from helping the one who God has placed before us. The reality in Peter and John's story is that we do not read that every beggar at the temple's court was healed. But we do read that the one man who called out to them, the one person who they could help, was healed. They didn't have money, but they didn't rely on money. They met the need of the man himself to notice him, to invite him into faith, to know the fullness of life. As individuals and as a community, we should be questioning the value that we've learned to place on money, on silver and on gold which cannot save us, silver and gold which are useful tools but which we allow too often to limit the scope of our imaginations for what God may be doing through us, for what God may be calling us to do for others, and silver and gold which we covet as something that may save us from the uncertainty of the future, and which we are perhaps all too unwilling to share broadly and generously. And as we continue to readjust our focus, we should also find ways in which we have been equipped and gifted by the Holy Spirit to invite others to encounter Jesus in their lives, to be transformed even as this man was transformed. That in our radical generosity, in the giving of our attention and our care, in our invitation to know and believe in Jesus, we might be able to move beyond money and move toward welcome, and community, to healing and to wholeness, and to journey with many who we have the privilege to offer such opportunities to. In fact, to participate in the healing ministry of God's Holy Spirit, and to participate in the reconciliation of all things. 
Pope Innocent II was right when he said to St. Thomas Aquinas that the church could no longer claim that it doesn't have silver or gold. And I think that Knox Church knows that reality all too well. We have a narrative of our trust funds and the Queen Street property and Jesse Ketchum. And we know that we can't say that truth anymore, that silver or gold have we none. Because we do have these things. These are tremendous gifts and resources which have been entrusted to our community for this kind of ministry, for this kind of Holy Spirit work that Peter and John couldn't do, but perhaps we can do. And so I'm glad to say that this work should, this silver and gold, these resources should not hamper our ministry, but it should embolden us and not silence our witness of Jesus Christ and his spirit. And so I also want to say that the critique of Thomas Aquinas to the church all those many years ago, that they could no longer say to the lame, rise and walk, need not be the critique of our church today need not be true of our community at Knox. Independence of, on Jesus and his Holy Spirit, not independence on our wealth or our trust funds. We should find ourselves constantly being able to say to the lame, stand and walk. Constantly being able to say to the broken and hurt, be healed in Jesus' name. Because this is the ministry of the church this is the ministry of the Holy Spirit through each of us. And the specifics of our time and this church should embolden us and empower us and not hold us back. We can be the church, even as Peter and John were the church. We can see the needs of the world and meet them. If we're willing to say to those who ask for our help, what I do have, I give to you. This is the very good news of the gospel for the world. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, our great high priest, we are grateful for the ways that you intercede for your church and the ways that you intercede for the world. We are grateful for your Holy Spirit, which is present among us today and which has been given to each person who calls on your name. And so, Jesus, we pray that you would help us to be the church that you desire us to be, that we, we would use the gifts not only of our resources, our time and our money, but also the gift of your Holy Spirit to see the needs of people who we could so easily ignore, people who you love and desire to heal, and that in seeing them and in knowing them, we might have a part in being your hands and your feet of their meeting you and knowing the wholeness that you've made them to know. We pray all these things in your name and through your Spirit's power. Amen.